you just give me the signal when I can stay Namaste. Okay? Because I don't see that on that screen. No, I don't want to see it. No, no, it will disturb me. It will disturb me. I don't need to see. Okay. So, we are online, yeah? Namaste to all of you. I'm glad to be here with you tonight. I hope you like you like this formula that we sometimes, whenever we have the opportunity, before satsangs, we give a meditation of the crown chakra, a meditation of Shiva. So in this way, you will combine attending a satsang with a good meditation, usually on the crown chakra, as I say. And... Um, Given the nature of the last two satsangs, where I spoke about the main spiritual paths to understand the spiritual methods according to the three energies, the method of Icha Shakti as divine aspiration and desire manifested mostly in Bhakti Yoga, the energy of Jnana, of knowledge, manifested in Jnana Yoga and the Kriya Shakti, the energy of action as manifested in the methodology of Karma Yoga. And then of course there is a, a synthesis yoga which I did not mention, which is mentioned often in the curriculum of Agama because that's what we do in Agama which is generically called Raja Yoga and which means a synthesis of all the three forms of yoga using all those and a lot of technological modalities like Hatha Yoga, Kundalini Yoga, Laya Yoga, the Yoga of the Mind, the Principle of Resonance, and all those things. So, keeping in uh, accord to this, and taking into account also the fact that in less than one, in a bit more than one month from now, we will celebrate, most probably together, the Mahashivaratri, the great festival of Shiva, the great night of Shiva. And um, given the fact that before that, we want to make... Uh, Bhakti retreat for the people who relate through the method of bhakti, as well as a very short retreat of the crown chakra, of working on understanding the forms of Shiva, then I also have in purpose that somewhere in the middle of February, I will make a lecture, a satsang, about the different forms of Shiva, how, what to understand about this story with the different forms of Shiva, types of Shiva, faces of Shiva, manifestations of Shiva that are worshipped in the Mahashivaratri. But even before that, I was asked by some of the students to give an understanding of the power of prayer, of the process of prayer, of the differences between prayer and meditation, how, what is specific to this bhakti yoga 
to this Tantra Bhakti. And um, therefore, tonight, I will give you a bit of an outline, starting from the Shaivistic tradition and the Bhakti of that tradition, and of course, going into the great experts of prayer, from Ramakrishna to Milarepa, and from the Christian saints to the old hermetic initiates, trying to understand a little bit more, because for many of you it's not clear when it is a prayer, when it is a meditation, which is the borderline between them, how can you mix them, if it is good to mix them, where does it lead, what to expect. From the very beginning we know that prayer invokes or involves an aspect of the human being which is fundamental and which belongs to Sahasrara only. The aspect of consciousness. Because in the moment when you pray to Buddha, to Krishna, to Jesus, to Shiva, or to the Cosmic Mother, in that moment there appears the feeling that I, as a conscious being, I am appealing, I'm making a conscious request. There is this misunderstanding that prayer is just a request, and it is and it isn't. The superior prayer, it's more a resonance and a communion than requesting anything whatsoever. Uh, requesting oneness, requesting presence. So basically when you do prayer, you expect that at the other end of the line there is somebody who listens. When you do meditation, it doesn't really matter. Like I can make a meditation with the element of fire. And it's the cosmic fire, the universal fire, and my yoga teacher taught me that the fire element resonates on Manipura chakra, and therefore if I think about the cosmic fire as it is in the sun and in all the galaxies of this universe, it has to resonate with me through my Manipura chakra, and uh, I can have a lot of fire, or I can have little fire, and my fire can be very harmonious, or my fire can temporarily be in a state of disharmony. And, but when I think about fire, I think about fire as a force. It's an energy. It's a level of consciousness. It's a resonance. And if I have a great resonance with fire, fire from the universe is flowing, is overflowing into my Manipura chakra, and my Manipura chakra is charged up, and it can go very, very deep, like it very, very refined forms. And in this way, that is more like a, that, that is more like I think about a meditation. But for example, when Francis of Assisi, the great Roman Catholic saint, approached fire, he approached fire as a person. He prayed to the sun and the moon 
as they were beings created by God. He called them Brother Sun and Sister Moon. I hear your tune, I am in touch with you. And then he prayed to the fire. He said, Brother Fire. At some point, somebody was preparing to torture him with fire. And he prayed to fire by saying, Brother Fire, God has made you good, beautiful, useful. He was transfiguring fire, right? He was treating fire like a god, which they do in India as well. Fire is Agni Deva, the god of fire. And he said, Brother Fire, God has made you beautiful, useful, good. Pray, don't burn me. And indeed it was known that Francis of Assisi had this city, if we want to call it like that, that he was immune to fire. At some point in his life, he even proposed that he will walk through fire, praying to God, just so that the heathens, the Muslims in his case, they would see that God can protect you from fire, from any of the elements, from whatever is happening in the universe. And therefore, he approached fire as a prayer, not as a meditation. He didn't think about the energy of the fire, which is the Shakti part. He thought about the consciousness of the fire, because he talked to the fire as to a person. Therefore, prayer does something very wonderful. Whatever you pray to, you pray to the time. And then you say that time is a big black woman, which is called Kali, and you pray to Kali, like Ramakrishna did. But that is like meditating with time. Only that compared to meditation, it adds this dimension of consciousness. Meditation is more done with the mind and with the five senses, with the five elements which are lower than the mind, which are the antennas of the mind. But prayer rises everything to the level of consciousness, that it's something which you can talk to. Even in Buddhism, they often say, no self, maybe there is no God, why should you refer to something personally? But when they pray to Buddha, they say the Buddha nature is inside you. Buddha is inside you. There was a man who lived 2,500 years ago, among many, but there was at least that one we know for sure, who personified. You look at him, you see the Buddha. You look at him, you see. So if this mysterious Buddha nature, if this Shunya, Shunyata, the void, if this absolute reality manifests in a person, then it means it is compatible with a person. It's not like in that monkey game where you have triangular holes, round holes, square holes, and then you have three pegs made of wood, and you have to put the triangular one in the triangular hole, the round one in the round hole. No, <clears throat> that simply basically says, if, if the Buddha nature 
did fit into Buddha, who was a person who walked among us and talked to us, then it means that the Buddha nature is compatible. It's the triangular peg in the triangular hole. If it can fit, it can fit. And thus, even in the Buddhist tradition, in a very cryptical way, although they deny a permanent consciousness, they refer to the lower consciousness, to the ego, to the personality, to the Hindu misuse of the word Atma or Atman, which was misused as being ego or personality, and using it as a divine consciousness. That divine consciousness is compatible, is synergic with the human being. The human being is a product of that. And therefore, it is exactly as Yogananda Paramahamsa said when he wanted to transcend this limitation from Vedanta. Although the philosophy of Yogananda was mostly Vedantic, but he had an understanding which was even beyond Vedanta. Because he said, if you have a personality, where did that personality come from? Then why do you deprive God of a personality? Then it means you are more complex than God in a certain way. So God is transpersonal, but also can have a personality anytime, anyhow, because you are a product of that. Nothing comes out of nothing. You cannot have intelligence if there is not intelligence on the side of the divine consciousness. You cannot have a personality if there is not a divine personality as well. Ah, that the divine personality can change any way it wants, and you can have God under the form of Shiva, God under the form of Shakti, God under the form of Vishnu, God under the form of Ganesha, God under other divine forms, that's completely unimportant. That's just the result of Maya, the fact that the illusion can show you different parts of that. That's why prayer is a very interesting approach, which it's true. For most people it starts from Anahata Chakra, but I would like to call your attention on the fact that Buddhist monks from Japan or from Thailand, if you prefer, who had very little, if not zero, anahata in their daily life, they did prayer. And their prayer was not a wrong prayer. It was not a heretic prayer. The fact that you, in this lifetime, okay, you are yogis and you are used with this miracle of yoga, that we always tell you that you can activate in a couple of years any chakra that you want to activate. Now, like if you have no Anahata Chakra, then you work 10 years on Anahata Chakra and you will have a huge and overwhelming Anahata Chakra. You can change your nature. You don't have much Manipura Chakra. You can work every day hours on Manipura Chakra then people will see your Manipura Chakra, you will experience your Manipura Chakra. But 
in other religious environments, not in yoga, which is such a formidable technology, people simply said the Roman proverb, which said, of course they didn't know it, but they said something equivalent. There is a Roman proverb which says the bull fights with its horns and the eagle fights with its talons. You cannot ask a bull to use its talons because it has got none. In your spiritual life, each and every one of you has certain strengths and certain gifts. And then it's true. If you do yoga for 10 years, you will change your dominant chakra. But exception made of this case where yoga is formidable is amazing. Exception made of this case, you look at yourself and you say, what have I got? Horns or talons? Because I want to know what to do tomorrow. What do I use in my spirituality? And thus, for some people, remember that you say prayer, but prayer can come from Manipura Chakra as well. And it will work in a different way than the prayer from Anahata Chakra, but it will still be prayer. Because at the other end of that conversation, you place something divine which is endowed with consciousness. Exactly as I have consciousness and I talk, I expect that at the other end of the line somebody understands and can talk back. In meditation, it's more like you listen. I surrender to the fire, I attune to the cosmic fire, and my Manipura Chakra is flowing with the energy of fire. What did I talk? Nothing. Because I don't need to talk. But this thing of articulated language, of Vak, of the power of the logos of the word, this is related directly to Sahasrara and to the aspect of consciousness. And that's why we can pray from Manipura, we can pray from Anahata, but the final target is always related to consciousness, and therefore it has something related to Sahasrara. In a certain way, prayer goes more directly to Sahasrara than meditation, but with the difference that very often prayer is clumsy, and it is given with an external mentality that you pray to something which is external to you, and even this silly idea that you pray because you want something, give me health, give me money, give me strength, give me happiness, give me, which is not forbidden, but it's a very utilitarian use of the prayer, while otherwise prayer it's like I'm consciousness and I am talking to consciousness. It's consciousness to consciousness, face to face. And in this way, prayer has a dimension which creates a shortcut, which is one of the greatest miracles of Bhakti Yoga. Because in Bhakti Yoga, they say, if you have this energy, but if you have the consciousness which comes together with it, then you can reach enlightenment. There is one of the 112 techniques in the Vigana Bhairava Tantra which says exactly that. 
that state which results from prayer, that state takes you all the way to Shiva. That's the divine consciousness because you put in it consciousness. Therefore, I have uh, put here from yoga, from our bhakti yoga studies and from the workshop a sort of a definition. I want to read it because I don't want to miss some very good words. Don't worry, it's uh, half of a page or less. Just to have a, a place to start from before we see about the technology, the opportunity, and other things about prayer, the purposes of prayer, why not? Prayer, I wrote here, is a sincere yearning for the absolute consciousness or God. That's why you can see that it's Icha Shakti, because I yearn for God. Prayer is like I want to get close. I want to get one with it. It is realized through a simultaneous focusing of the body, mind, and soul towards the Absolute. Like everything contributes. I have a posture of the body which talks. My mind is in a certain way and my soul is in a certain way. Prayer is a sincere call, a silent appeal or a call for help, but that help doesn't mean help financial help. It can be, again, it's not forbidden, but it is a prayer for help, like I am disappearing in samsara, help me to stay awake, help me to cross the ocean of samsara. So it's an appeal for help, realized in a state of complete humbleness. Even the people who do prayer on Manipura chakra, like if you will see some Japanese Buddhist prayers, they are still done in a state of humbleness, only it's not the humbleness of the heart chakra, it's the humbleness or the modesty of Manipura chakra. It's, there has to be an equivalent. Prayer can also be defined as an uplifting of the mind and soul towards God, as an instantaneous act of invocation, like calling God in, calling the divine to you, that's what how Aurobindo saw it, and love in which devotion predominates as a background. One of the secrets of this devotion, which I have seen recently in a Hindu series about Shiva, about the Puranas, the stories about Shiva, is that this devotion is the law of the universe. It is irresistible. Even if you killed 35 people like Milarepa, you can practice devotion. Devotion is irrepressible, unstoppable, and this is the basis of this bhakti. Prayer, so prayer is part of our devotion, which is the essence. God gave us this thing that wherever we are, even if we get lost in hell, if we have the power and the remembrance, we can still pray. We can still do devotion. Prayer is, in fact, the most simple effort of a human being to get in touch with a reality that is beyond him or her. How can you get in touch with Kali? By focusing on the Yantra of Kali, by repeating the mantra of Kali, 
for 12 years, hours every day, attempting to realize what Patanjali calls the state of Samyama, through Ajna Chakra performing identification. But there is another way, which was practiced a lot by Ramakrishna, who demonstrated the validity of it. Prayer. To reach something which is much beyond you, you can either try to do some yama with it, but prayer also works. Prayer was compared by some Christian mystics, like you are looping something with a rope, you are roping something, and every time when you pray, you get closer to it, you pull it closer to you, or you pull yourself closer to that goal. Of course, many people who do prayer can't see that, because that's a clairvoyant perception. It is not just repeating an empty formula, like you say, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, but you are repeating it in an empty way, or holding a sterile thought in the mind. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God, both in Christianity and in Judaism, used as a formula. You know that you have this formula, but it's a sterile thought in the end. But mostly it is an inner call lived with all your being, a total opening on the background of a complete surrender towards God. So it's a very heartfelt, emotional thing. It's what Kashmiri Shaivis calls a bhavana, uh, emotional involvement. Prayer creates a definite state of consciousness in which the person who is praying feels very clearly that he or she is in communion with God. Prayer does not require any spiritual knowledge. When you do Laya Yoga, you want to understand the laws of resonance and what that mantra says and what is the technology of identifying with Nada, with the inner sound, and for Laya Yoga being, for those of you who don't know yet, a more complicated practice of yoga, one of the complicated practices, but requires a sincere belief in a mysterious universal consciousness that surrounds us. Like when you pray, you have to at least admit that it's possible that like Rumi said in one of his poems, God is here. God is here. He said, there is no need to suffer. God is here. This is why prayer works more easily for those innocents whose hearts are pure. Too much thinking somehow is a nuisance for this prayer. Prayer comes out not only from the heart taken strictly as Anahata Chakra, as I already said. It needs an intense, passionate yearning for God, a huge amount of energy, the more energy you have, like the men and women who are blessed with a big vitality, when they start praying, whew, they catch fire instantaneously, because they have got fuel, and the fuel is a lot of energy, which maybe before they were not aware of, or they were not using it for something useful, and nothing else. 
it's yearning for God and energy, like things which you throw into the Vedic fire. And as a great thinker has said, indeed prayer is talking and meditation is more like listening. And thus, I want us to focus a little bit on this power of prayer. Because the power of prayer comes sometimes from above. The method, many methods of yoga are methods which work ascendingly. Like I pull myself up. I do Udhyana Bandha. I do Oli Mudras. I do this. I do that to move myself up. To move myself up. To move myself up. And in this way... I may get to higher energies, higher resonance on the chakras, higher phenomena. If I activate well my Ajna chakra, I may start seeing things from the past, present and future, having different forms of clairvoyance or other such things. And therefore, when I get a certain power, that power is obtained in an ascending way. Like I'm climbing to that power. But in prayer, people don't expect to acquire personally a power. They expect that God will exert that power on your behalf, on their behalf. Like I don't have the power to do some yama with the fire and to control the fire element of the universe. But I believe that every time when I pray in a certain way to God, God will come and control the fire element one meter around me, protecting me completely, like I can be in the middle of the fire and I will not get burned. But that's not my power. It's the power of God. It's not my city. My only city is that I can do prayer to the right instance but the power comes from there so I go to Sahasrara with a prayer and from Sahasrara there comes a power which affects my Manipura it doesn't mean that I have the Manipura it means that God has the Manipura but I am so good at prayer God loves me so much or whatever you want to put it like that whenever necessary the energy of fire will be there for me. But it's not mine. It's on a loan. You can say, well, it's anyhow a loan from the universe because you are alone yourself. Your physical body, your etheric energy, your astral energy, and even your soul is alone from the universe and alone from God. But still, in the moment when one works through prayer, Please understand this principle that one needs to have this connection and in the name of that connection things will happen. For example, Ramakrishna gave a state of samadhi to some people and stopped it in a person by praying to Kali. He said, Kali, please stop because this person cannot take it, cannot stand it. Therefore, prayer 
works in a different way than the resonance on the chakras that I work with the mandala and with the mantra of the fire element for five years and after five years I can look at a candle and the candle will burst in flames just because I focus my Manipura on it and I transmit the energy of fire into such an amount that it becomes materialized and then it becomes material fire. This has been seen. Yogis and other people who had the power of controlling, for example, the fire element. But it didn't mean that they had a good relationship to God. It meant that they controlled the fire element. In the case of Francis of Assisi, Francis of Assisi said, I cannot control the fire element. But he is my brother, because God created the fire, and God created me. And I pray to the fire, that please God, make the fire, make me immune, to make the fire not afflict me in any way. So thus, prayer has automatically a dimension related to Sahasrara when the prayer is addressed in the right way. Krishna, in the Bhagavad Gita, also says that human beings do lower forms of prayer. They pray to the devas, to deities. They pray to demons, to the asuras. And they pray to the spirits of the dead or other spirits which are living in the lunar spheres in the darker, lower world. And he classifies praying to the gods as sattva guna, praying to the demons as rajas guna, and praying to the dead and other similar spirits as tamas guna. That's, for example, why yogis have never fully accepted spiritism. Because if in spiritism you pray just to the dead, and you want the dead to tell you what's happening in the astral world, the dead belong to the lowest of these three categories. And it is one thing which you can see when you study spiritist literature from 19th and 20th century. That somehow this dialogue with the spirit is having a lid. It's, a, it's like it's limited. It's tamasic. There is a certain human limitation to it. It's not like you would receive your answer from Vishnu himself. It's not cosmic consciousness. There is a limitation. These people in spiritism, they keep talking about families, reincarnation, good karma, bad karma, how you come back, how you go away. But what about the causal world? Uh, causal world. The cow, even the spirit who answers to you is not in the causal world yet. How should he tell you about an experience which he or she themselves didn't have? That's why, coming back to the story, of course when I speak about prayer, I speak about prayer to the one. Prayer to the absolute. Because the other ones are amplifying the gunas but the divine state, the cosmic consciousness, is gunatita, is beyond the gunas. Transcending the gunas is the purusha aspect. And in this way, therefore, prayer, it's very interesting for you 
to sometimes do meditation, sometimes to mix it a little bit with prayer. I remember the story of a yogi from the West who was describing some of his spiritual practice. And he said, one day I was in great turmoil. He doesn't tell us what happened. There happened something. There were some memories. There was some karma coming up. There was turmoil in his soul. And he said, my soul was so agitated. I was like (laughs) on the brink of going crazy. And I knew that I should not do yoga and meditation in such a disturbed state of mind. And then he says, I started with 30 minutes of prayer. I just prayed sincerely to God by using some of the standard prayers. And he said, after 30 minutes, a great state of peace descended upon my soul, upon my mind. And then... I started my yoga practice. He used prayer in this case like a sort of warming exercises. You know, I do prayer as it's something different from meditation and yoga. And that's why I say, when you will join the Bhakti Yoga Retreat, when you are coming to Kirtan and Bhajan, when you join us on a Shakti festival, on a Shakti meditation, or on the Mahashivaratri, or other such opportunities here in Agama, part of it is a meditation, and part of it is a prayer. Of course, the people who feel that they are agnostic, or even atheistic, they are a little bit afraid of this aspect of prayer, because they say, look, I can pretend that I do prayer, because there is peer pressure. Everybody around me, seems to terribly believe in this guy called Shiva. I don't give a shit about who Shiva is or what Shiva is, because I don't know if Shiva exists. I don't know if I can make myself believe. So you want to call me to a kirtan, and there there are some beautiful girls who are swinging, rosy in their cheeks, and they say, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Shivaya Namaha. And it's nice, it's a good feeling. But... Am I really praying? Now, I'm singing, you know. I'm taking it. It's like uh, Cliff Richards, you know. Congratulations and jubilations, you know. And it feels good. No, I like the singing. But the prayer part, I'm still a little bit skeptical about it. Please do not get turned off by this. Because it's normal. It's normal. There is a certain level of intuition which you may have because of your spiritual maturity from a previous life. And then somehow you are born with great faith. But otherwise, your faith is dependent on an experience. Vivekananda, the great Vivekananda, he didn't have this experience, although... Ramakrishna later said that he was the reincarnation of a great Rishi. And he simply, when he saw Ramakrishna too much in love with God, too personal with God, he said, "You, I think you are a bit nuts. He actually told him at some day, he cracked. And he said, man, I think you are Gaga. You are a genius, and at the same time, I think you are a bit Gaga, like many geniuses are. You know? And he said, please, 
You know, he, he asks for faith. And he says, what is this God that you keep addressing so personally? Can you see this God? And Ramakrishna looked at him with childlike eyes, with transparent eyes, and told him, I can see God better than I can see you now. Like, what more do you want me to, you know, it's like, I, I can admit that you don't. But Ramakrishna said, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not pretending to believe in something which I have not tasted. I perceive God more acutely than I perceive you. You are two meters from me, and God is more clear to me than you who are in front of my eyes. Which means my third eye, my sixth sense, my so-called spiritual intuition, my vision, sees God. And then there is no doubt whatsoever. Therefore, we know that prayer is a little bit of a difficult factor. Because some people may try prayer, and it's okay when you do it like a child, innocently. Simply saying, I don't know, but I'm ready to try. If there is something behind that wall, please make yourself known to me. No? And I can try and try and try. This doesn't stop me from doing prayer for 10 years. But the, the, the name of the game is experiment. I experiment because I don't know. Then there comes the awakening of the soul. And when your soul is awakened by the light of God, then the real prayer will start. Because then, like Ramakrishna, you will know. You will know. It's more than your life. It's more than the medical science. You're asking some fundamentalistic Christians why they believed more in Jesus than in vaccination. Like, are you kidding me? You know, is, can you compare a vaccine as brilliant as it is with Jesus? Isn't Jesus a gazillion times more healing and powerful than all the vaccines of this planet put together? Like, what are you talking? Either Jesus does not exist, and then you are fooling yourself, you are drowning in some ridiculous illusions, or if for you it exists, then it's more strong than anything. I remember how impressed I got by a faith of a simple Romanian woman from the countryside when I was a young yogi, and I'd been doing two, three years of yoga, and I was very proud of my yoga that I could transmit energy, feel, resonance, focus, mantras, visualizations. I could do already some things. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, what do the stupid Christian people from the countryside know, you know, when they are just based on a blind belief? It's just a popular religion. Then I traveled in a train compartment for a few hours with a woman from the countryside who told us a simple story. She was 45 years old or something, and she got pregnant. And not only that pregnancy is very difficult at that time, but she had huge problems with the thyroid. She had a major dysfunction of the thyroid, 
as many women around menopause can get. And the doctors not only offered her, they plainly directly suggested an abortion because they said the chance is that you'll give birth to a malformed child and if it will live, it will be a nightmare for it and for you. So better not. This was one in a million because in communist Romania, abortions were forbidden because the communist government wanted the population of the country to constantly grow. And one way of doing it was forbidding the women to leave the country and forbidding the women to have abortion. And then if you got pregnant, your only chance was to try an illegal abortion, which were extremely dangerous in several ways, both legally and medically, because they would be done in very primitive ways. And it was like thousands of women died because of illegal abortions in those years. So the fact that this woman was 46 and she said, what am I going to do with a kid at 46? And then she said, and the doctor said, we could offer you an abortion, which was like, you be, you know, jackpot, you know. Not many women have this, that the doctors for free, they will give you the right to an abortion because you are an exceptional case. And this woman looked at me and at my friend, we were there listening to her, fascinated by her story. And she said, but I did not believe in the doctors that I refused to believe in the doctors because it was against my Christian faith that I should do this. So I just said prayers and I let the child be. And she said, at the right term, I gave birth to a child. This child lived for about 30 days. After 10 days, I got it baptized. So it should not die unbaptized. It was not ill, it was just weak. And 30 days later, it died. And in this way, I didn't have to stain my hands with an abortion. And the doctors were made wrong because I was okay. The child got baptized and its soul is in paradise or whatever. Everybody won. And everybody won because she did not believe in medicine. She believed in something more than in medicine. Very few people have this kind of faith. Because either God knocks at the door of your heart and then you know and you cannot explain how you know and the people who don't have this they are very angry at the people that have it. But Vivekananda himself was mad at Ramakrishna because Ramakrishna believed so organically and he, Vivekananda, at that time for a few more weeks or months he was still an atheist. He didn't call himself an atheist. He called himself agnostic or something. But he was not believing in God, basically. Because he said, I will believe in God when I see God. I'll believe in God when I perceive God. Until then, it's an abstraction. So, one can do prayer without this complete faith. Because one can always perform prayer as an experiment. Like, I don't know, and prayer could be the key that unlocks that door. So I'm going to pray for one month, or for 30 minutes, or for 10 years, just to see what's happening. Because I have no other way. Of course you can say, but you can stand on your head, 
You can work on Ajna Chakra. Yes, only a few privileged people can do that, who study yoga, who study authentic yoga, and they learn the correct methods, and then they use those methods with perseverance, and then the results will appear slowly, slowly, step by step. And that's why prayer indeed invokes an additional dimension. When you do meditation, you attune to something. But when you pray, you pray to someone, not to something. You pray to something which can understand you and respond to you. And as such, I advise you all to try bhakti, because as some people say, you could be a closet bhakti yogi. If you have done prayer in previous lives, if you have this intuitive faith in your heart, if your time has come, if there is a special grace, you will see immediately the divine nature as being personified, as being in rapport with you, in relationship to you. And then, you will be able to pray to Shiva on Manipura, to Shiva on Anahata, to the Sadashiva of Vishuddha Chakra, to the Shiva of the Third Eye, and of course, to the ultimate Bhairava consciousness from Sahasrara, from the Crown Chakra. To all of them, you can also use the method of prayer. Then meditation and prayer, meditation becomes prayer, and prayer becomes meditation. Normally, they would consider meditation more on the path of jnana, because meditation is knowledge without knowledge. It's directly connecting to the knowledge. And prayer, leading or related to it, meditation as jnana, prayer as bhakti. But as all the great spirits, including Gupta, they said, Bhakti takes you exactly in the same place where Jnana takes you, and Jnana takes you exactly in the same place where Bhakti takes you. That's why it's important for people practicing spirituality to understand also their personal relationship to the divinity. Wherever you have been born, as a Jew, as a Christian, as a Muslim, as a Hindu, as a Buddhist, as member of another religion, there are so many other religions, Zoroastrianism, Sikhism, Shintoism, and some Taoism, and so many others, wherever, whatever your background is, to look at the gates which have been opened for you, to connect with the divinity in a personal way. When we come to this art of prayer, I wrote a few ideas here about the prayer, some types of prayer. No? We Many people think that prayer is either something standard, like sometimes prayers lead to mantra yoga, like Aum uh, Triambakam and all the rest, Yajamahe and so on, or uh, prayer like a verse from the Rig Veda, Om Burbu Savitur Varenyam and so on. Uh, or prayer being a formula. 
master of the universe, master of the universe, oh, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. Or the prayer of the heart, which is one of the most famous, one of the most used in the last centuries. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And repeating them hundreds, thousands, and eventually millions of times until it becomes from the prayer of the mouth, it becomes the prayer of the mind, that your mind participates, understands, resonates, and from the prayer of the mind one day, it becomes the prayer of the heart, which means you don't just understand it, you tingle with it, you have goosebumps when you say it, you cry, you feel it, it's organically there. You want to see more about the prayer of the heart, you'll be very inspired to read this classic called The Russian Pilgrim, now, in which a Russian beggar, pilgrim, describes the effects of it, that with the prayer of the heart, when he was hungry, he was just repeating the prayer of the heart, the hunger diminished. When he was cold, he repeated the prayer of the heart, his body got warm without adding extra clothes in the Russian winter. And the more and more, like what miracles were happening, just from praying in a certain state of consciousness. That's why, for some people, the prayer is like repeating a formula, because the point is not that you should be verbose with God. Because Jesus said, God knows already what you need. You think that if you make yourself very explicit, you will convince God more clearly? No, like God already knows. So the point is not you talking and talking and boring God to death. The point is you being in that state of consciousness, being in that state of communion where you are open to the energies, to the consciousness, to the miracle. And that's why for many people in India, in Tibet, in the Sufi environment and Islamic environment, in the Jewish mysticism, in the Christian mysticism and others, people preferred formulas from where we have a part of mantra yoga. In India, that prayer is like a mantra, and many mantras are eventually like prayers, and repeating the mantra, repeating the mantra, repeating the prayer, repeating the prayer, takes one in a special state of consciousness, and in that state of consciousness, miracles start happening. The prayer, remember the prayer is an effort of the soul, of the mind, of your life force, of the body to be one, to rise, to be something, to get close to something which you don't know and which is high, high above you. And the prayer works like a lasso. It just ropes it and it makes you come closer just because you repeat a formula. That's why there are people who compose infinite long prayers spontaneously. They invent the words of prayers. You can see it very much in this uh, firebrand neo-Protestant churches where they pray, Oh, Father, 
to come now to our brother George and exactly like you made Goliath fall and da 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 make him do this you know like where did you read that no I just made it up right now that's really a lousy type of prayer that's full of the energy of desire but it's inferior no in this way if you have the prayer like this the prayer like this becomes the power of accomplishment the power of manifestation you can pray for a rolls royce car you can pray for a villa with a swimming pool you can pray for good crops you can pray for a million other things and i'm not saying it's bad or forbidden but when you ask francis of assisi or somebody comparable augustine or or rumi just to take some or ramakrishna from other religions what's the purpose of your prayer they will tell you something else they didn't want a rolls royce they didn't want a swimming pool they didn't want this they didn't want that they just wanted the oneness the nearness the samyama they wanted to be one to be in that grace to be in that divine fire that that was the purpose of the prayer so that's why uh, very often in the high levels of prayer they prefer it to be like mantra yoga like in the end the the prayer becomes a meaningless formula when you repeated it millions of times the same thing was observed by one of the romantic British poets Byron Tennyson one of these Longfellow one of these early poets in the British culture who discovered that a method which Edgar Allan Poe learned from that the American writer learned also from them was just to repeat your own name like a mantra you take your baptismal name your name which was given the name which you were since childhood and you repeat it hundreds of times thousands of times and there comes a moment when the name becomes meaningless like you repeat it and you don't feel that it's about you anymore it's not about it doesn't address you anymore and the meanings of it and it decomposes in syllables and it becomes gibberish and you know and eventually you go so deep that you can have some state of self realization just by repeating your name they considered it one of this i forgot unfortunately who it was they considered it a method of self realization just repeat your name until your ego falls apart because together with that absurd word which is your name everything will fall apart and then you're suddenly be empty you in full of an emptiness if you ask yourself who am i after you repeated your name a million times it's like there is no more answer because usually the first thing is i am walter i am this and i am that but in the moment when you have repeated it and that's why the most uh, one of the strongest parts of the prayer is to have the prayer as a formula like in mantra yoga because then you don't start getting enchanted by the richness and the beauty of the words that you use the words get lost in the repetition in the rehearsing of it this is also associated with positions of the body gestures or mudras 
ways of breathing. And I don't have time to insist now on the technology of prayer or things like this. Some people prefer the prayer in the most yang possible way as a standing prayer, like Seraphim of Sarov and others who did said when you stand up and then you do Trataka, breathing, whatever you do, repeating. You know, the fathers of the desert were not only standing, they were raising their arms like in Tadasana and they could stand like this five hours non-stop praying and the cosmic energy was flowing through them. Some people saw them even shining light in the darkness, like their body was becoming charged up with incredible, uh, with miraculous energies. The stylites, the saints which did the prayer standing, but not on the ground. They did it standing up on a pillar. Stylus is a pillar. So the, the pillar saints who went up on a top of a tree, they cut the top of the tree, they made a small platform of like maximum one by one, and on that platform they lived, they slept, they ate, people were sending them food with a rope, and they were standing there most of the day like this, praying. No? And they were 30 meters, like not even touching the ground, going for the cosmic energy to a huge extent. So as you can see, there is technology, there is prayer in isolation, like people who go three years or three days or three months or something, they go in an isolated place because they know that when they don't talk to other people, when they don't see other people, then the mind changes. The, perhaps the greatest example is not Milarepa, is Mark of Ethiopia, who apparently spent alone almost 90 years. He lived more than a hundred. He even forgot to die because he was not with people. He lived 90 years in the desert, you know, and the angels were materializing in front of him and bringing him food. He ate in the desert food created by the angels, like the manna for the Jews in the desert at the time of Moses. There is prayer of awareness, like sometimes the Buddhists, with their walking and Zazen and Vipassana, they make a prayer, it's a half of a prayer, they do prayer, and then they stay in awareness. And then they pray again, and then they stay in awareness. So there is a prayer which is directly on Sahasrara and which is, keep me aware, keep me aware second by second. Keep me aware moment by moment. There is, of course, prayer for various purposes, either for you or for another one or for the rest of the world, like prayer for healing, prayer for purifying places or objects, like when you do consecration of objects. There is prayer for blessing. There is prayer for exorcism. The famous Padre Pio he prayed that all the sins of Europe and of the world should be given to him alone, only if God could stop the First World War. He prayed in the summer of 1918 to stop the war, and the war stopped. And, and I'm sorry, Padre Pio was sick for most of the rest of his life. He was bleeding and in pain, and he had like an incurable, endless chain of diseases, although he lived a relatively long life. 
Of course, it would be childish to say, in a rationalistic way, that Padre Pio took all the sins of the First World War, or of the last uh, hundred days, just so it could stop a hundred days earlier. Because a human being would be crushed under the weight of so much negative karma. But subjectively, for him, it felt like he brought a contribution. He did a blessing. He did an exorcism. He prayed for forgiveness. He prayed for the healing of the world or some other thing. There is prayer for knowledge. I met people who did prayer simply because they wanted to know authoritatively something. I said a couple of times the story about the monk who was praying for weeks that he should be given a vision, a signal, a sign about what's happening to some people who during their life are committing some sexual sins of a particular related to abortion and other such things, you know. And one day, because he was already very advanced in prayer, an angel appeared and gave him a vision. He had the vision that he was flying with the angel somewhere and the angel showed him the condition of the people who had done that disharmonious deed and did not repent for it, did not manage to burn the karma for it, and they went in the afterlife with that karma on their shoulders. So there is, ka- there is prayer for many, many various purposes. I didn't even finish. I had here a long list of others. No, there were people who would say, can we pray for the sublimation of the sexual energy during lovemaking. Yes, there are prayers to be done during lovemaking. The Gnostic Church teaches them, the Orthodox Church teaches them, even the Catholic Church used to teach those prayers. There is an Italian novelist, Lampedusa, who wrote a book called Il Gattopardo, which means the cheetah, this feline, this panther-like animal, and... There, he's asked by somebody, why does he go so often to visit hookers? It's about an industrialist who is very rich. And he says, because my wife is a Catholic, boring, Sicilian woman, and when I tried to fuck her the first time, she started praying. And every, all the time while I was sticking my penis inside her, she just mumbled prayers. Does this actually mean that he could not have given her pleasure? Not at all. But the funny thing is that he could give pleasure without God. He would have liked to give pleasure not in the presence of God. And God turned him off. He could have said, okay, the woman is so rich in her faith, she wants to pray, I'm going to touch her G-spot to see how the G-spot mixes with her prayer. Let's see what her prayer becomes when I poke her G-spot hard. No? Then maybe she will start singing the prayer. Maybe she will start shouting like a nightingale, you know, or something. Let's see. But he didn't. He was turned off. And he fucked her a couple of times. He made her a baby, like the obligation of the family, you know, you should have a baby. And then he was going and visiting hookers. Because the hookers as far as he knew, were not praying. 
They were saying, give it to me, baby. Yeah, let's get drunk and do it again. Ah, ah. No? That's, that was his desire. But cannot prayer be done in lovemaking, before eating, when going to sleep, in your dreams maybe sometimes? Did you ever pray in your dreams? Did you find yourself in your dreams saying a prayer? To whom? Prayer can be done at many, many times and it brings this wonderful dimension of consciousness. Think more about the distinctions because Bhakti Yoga gives us this great gift that it gives us a meditation which is with consciousness compulsorily. And therefore, it brings a dimension on Sahasrara. The prayer may start from Manipura or Anahata. Maybe some people can even pray from Vishuddha. But eventually, it goes to Sahasrara because it's about consciousness. The divine, the supreme consciousness is a person, is the one. And thus, it gives an amazing dimension. This is, therefore, the prayer is done for Icha, because you have the desire for God, aspiration. The prayer is done for Jnana, because you wish to know God and the mysteries of the universe. And like Buddha, you wish to know all your 10,000 previous lives. And prayer is done for action, for Kriya, because you want to consecrate, you want a blessing, and therefore you bless and pray for your action, for your karma yoga. That is why prayer applies in all the branches of divinity. And it is important for you to study more. I was just asked to speak about the power of prayer. A famous scientist became controversial because he addressed it. Alexis Carrel, a French scientist, he took the Nobel Prize in medicine, not for the prayer research, for that one he was kicked in the ass, but before that he had the chance of doing a research where he demonstrated that the heart of a chicken and other tissues were immortal. That if you kept them in perfect conditions, they were basically immortal. He demonstrated the immortality of cells and of tissues. And for this, he got the Nobel Prize in medicine. And then afterward, he got a bad idea from the standpoint of the other doctors because he wanted to check as a Nobel Prize winner and as a doctor if the prayer actually does have medically measurable effect, effects. And he went to Lourdes, to Fatima, to all these places, the pilgrimage, where people were praying for health and for other things. And he wrote an amazing book about the effects of prayer, first in French, but it's translated, where he demonstrates crushingly at the level of a Nobel Prize winner that prayer does have concrete, scientific, measurable, considerable effects, and that sometimes it produces medical miracles. And he gives concrete examples of what he and his team have seen in the research. That's why the power of prayer is formidable 
but because we are kept in this state of ignorance where we don't even know if God exists and therefore if it's worth it to pray, because maybe you pray to nobody, maybe you pray to an imaginary object of your prayer, then we are blocked like in doing little. Even in monasteries and in ashrams from India, people do sometimes very little prayer and they try to shirk, to not do it. They practice, they prefer to take care of trees, plants, cattle, but not prayer. And thus, it is important for you as yogis to to explore this aspect of your spiritual life and to see the power of prayer and to include it in your practice. When you have time, join kirtans and bhajans just to see if it works. Pray alone. There is the technology of praying for three days non-stop of Ramakrishna. There is the technology of the 24-hour prayer, at least, which also gives some very interesting results. There, is, there are other technologies of prayer, which there are, so you can see for yourself as a scientific act how prayer works and where it takes you. Come to the Mahashivaratri, come to the Shakti initiations, Come to the Shakti festival, which probably will manage to hold this year if everything goes all right. Come to the Bhakti retreat, which we have in the end of February, and other such events, because you will never know without testing it, and without testing it solidly. As I said many times, I always am inspired by the example of one of my partners from my early life, who was an atheist, or at least agnostic, Jean-Paul Sartre, existentialism, and other bullshit like that. And then one Christmas evening, she decided to repeat the name of Jesus like a mantra. And it just took 30 minutes. And the whole thing happened to her after 30 minutes. Her life had never been the same. She was spiritual till the end of her life, till the last minute. She was practically, intensely, pragmatically spiritual and focused on prayer and everything related to it. There will be so many more things to say about prayer done in the day, in the night, positions, prayer done with fasting or without fasting, prayer done with different diets and so on. There is much, but this, I did not intend to make this a satsang about prayer, more about people understanding the power of prayer and the differences between meditation and prayer and also how it is included in your yoga practice that with bhakti yoga and in all the rest, you should feel free to try prayer just to see for yourself what it does to you. Thank you all for joining tonight. I hope this will be of great benefit to your soul and I hope you'll try practically and I will see you along the other activities here in Agama. Enough for tonight.